I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today's guest boxed as an amateur, fought as a pro, and then refereed roughly 1,500 fights. Forced to step aside by the British Boxing Board of Control age 65, he continued to officiate in Ireland until the end of his career, finishing up in about 2017. Now 79 years old, I believe you might correct me later, we'll we'll soon find out if Mickey Van has finally mellowed the biggest night of his career, the Battle of Britain, world heavyweight title clash between Frank Bruno and Lennox Lewis, saw him on the mat for a four-letter outburst broadcast across the world, according to the blurb for his book, Give Me a Ring. Van is the son of showman Hal Denver and the grandson of the Silver King, who included the Elephant Man in his sideshows. In his 2003 autobiography, Give Me a Ring, he pulled no punches as he revealed the truth about his unusual childhood spent between a Dickensian foster home and a circus. The bribe he was accused of taking from Don King and the sleazy side of the fight game. There were more recent chapters to come, including one from 2016 when he stared death in the face as shots rang out at the Regency Hotel in Dublin. Mickey, it's been something of a rocky road, hasn't it? Uh, It's been, I don't know about rocky, it's been bloody exciting. Absolutely. uh, um, But you don't don't realise... How good it is! How exciting it is! Sometimes it's it's just hard work, or you um, you know you just think, oh God, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and then, and then you look back and you think, God, that was they were great times, and the people that the the, the general public that that have never got anywhere near anything like that, you know. I, I mean, I've been. I've been to 44 different countries. I've never had to pay for them. You know, I didn't even know there were that many countries in the world. And that's what the fight game, that's what sport has done for me. Uh, a lot sometimes I, you get fed up. I've sat around in airports and, and, and thinking to yourself, oh, what am I doing here? Um, but... But it has been one one fantastic ride, and uh, it was quite a beginning to life for you as well. Can you tell us about how you came into the world and the people who brought you along? Oh, I I was born in in nineteen forty three, uh, which was a couple of years before the end of the war. Uh, my dad was a showman, and um, my 
I was with born, I was born in Camberwell, you know, uh, South London, and then of course it was it was getting bombed and what have you. So they they um, evacuated me, <laughs> evacuated me to the other side of Croydon, uh, which which the bombs could still reach, but um, maybe they didn't like me that much. But anyway, I uh, I went to this foster home, and um, I stayed there until I was seven. I think I think Dad forgot about me, to be honest. Um, went to school, and, and I was with with my with my brother was there as well. Um, we used to get Dad went to America to do some work there. He worked for the MCA, uh, Music Corporation of America, and he went all around the all around America and and. Uh, uh, on theatres, Chicago, everywhere. Um, he was pretty big name at the time. You know, he was he was earning a thousand dollars a week back in the forties. So, um, I I sort of just I I send him letters, but you had these blue airmail letters, and I used to wait for one to come. You know, it'd take a week or two before he sent sent one back. And I used to wait for the postman. And, and all of a sudden, my dad was coming home and he was coming to take me and Monty, my brother, um, it was coming to take us to, um, to go and travel with him. Um, I, was, I was seven year old then and went to this school in Warlingham, just say just outside Croydon, a little village. And um, I thought, oh, this is great. So Monty, he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to go. So he, mind you, he hadn't seen me, Dad. My dad used to write to him or whatever. And so when my dad came, um, he came to take me, and my mum wasn't with him. So uh, Monty wouldn't go, so my dad just left him there. And he was going to carry on. He, well, he did. He carried on paying um, for the foster for the foster home, you know, for the upkeep or, of, of Monty and what have you. And he stayed there until, well, for years. I, I, I was oh, 40, 40 odd years before I saw him again. Well, but you're um, but suddenly the, the doors to a new world opened up to you. So you 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 at seven eight years old, you've got ants in the pants, and you go off with your dad and join the traveling circus. Yeah, well, well, it's funny. Um, my mum used to come every six months to see us. And she didn't come with me dad. So my dad took us and we, we went to, well, took me, went to Brixton to the caravan where we lived. Uh, there's a windmill. Uh, my dad donated the windmill to London anyway. It's a landmark. He's got a, he's got a plaque of him on and what have you. And uh, so then we, we got, we, we went there and dad says, right, we're going uptown now. Um, I'm going to take you and we're going to meet your mum. So we got the tram up to, up to, uh, to, to up west to, to London. And, um, and as we're getting, uh, going along, my dad says, do you see that, see that woman there? Said that there's your mum there. So. I said, is that my mum? And, and I remember my mum as having black hair and, and um, a little bit shorter. And this was, she had blonde hair 
and a little bit taller. Anyway, go off and he introduced me. This is your new mum and all the rest of it. Um, and sorry, I've just moved the I've just moved the computer. And, <laughs> no worries. Um, that was like the start of it. And we um, dad had a circus at the time. And even then, I it was it was I always thought it was hard work. But I look back and it was great. It was fantastic. I'd left school at seven years old, you know, and I was traveling around the country with a circus, running around, doing doing little bits here, a little bit there. I used to sleep in the front of, of a Morris commercial van. It was about a, well, I would say about a three, three, four tonner, something like that. And the, the, the registration number was CRW806. I always remember it. And Dad made a bunk bed and a little bit of a petition there for me. And what he'd do is I'd go to bed and, and they'd get up and everything would be packed from the previous night. And I'd wake up, we were driving along the road. And in this Morris commercial, the petrol tank was in the, in the, the cabin. So where, where the passenger was supposed to sit was this like a sort of a deck chair. And there was a five-gallon drum of petrol. And there was this tank. And I used to, my job was when we were getting low on petrol, I'd, I'd have to take the, the um, lid off the petrol tank, put the stick in, see how much petrol we got. And he wouldn't stop, wouldn't my dad. He'd just carry on, right, pour the petrol in. And this was right at the side. The engine was in the cab with a bit of metal over it. Right. And I used to have to balance and pour this, this I mean, five gallons, they weren't always full, but this petrol into the petrol tank and make sure I didn't splash it on the engine. I mean, they were, they were great times. You, don't, you didn't realise. I hope your dad wasn't a smoker. That, he was, yeah. He <laughs> loved, oh, he loved a cigar, a Cuban. Absolutely loved a Cuban. Nah. What, what sort of jobs did you have on, on, the, uh, on the circus? Because oh. I know you were probably running around doing all sorts of stuff, but you, you performed also. I did, yeah. I, I was also a stooge for my dad. For, for, I used, we used to have this car, this little car, and my dad would get in with a fur coat on and a top hat. But of course, the, the top hat was, was maybe collapsible, and the fur coat was, it looked fur, but really it wasn't that thick. You know, and, and he'd have a walking stick, you know, which naturally would collapse, all that sort of thing. And I would be inside, and we'd run his feet along into the ring, and then Dad would get out of this little car, like a big-looking fella. He'd have a, an umbrella. He'd have a collapsible suitcase, and then he'd pull, and pull the, the top hat out, but of course, he, the top hat, I used to have to push through the middle for him. So all he did is put his hand in. I'd give him the top hat, put that on. And then I used to get out. And people used to gasp, and say, God, blimey, how did all that many people get in that little old car? And, you know, and I used to get a few laughs. I used to do the trapeze as well. Um, Dad, Dad wasn't happy about that for some reason. I, I practiced for, for hours and hours. I used to love it. I used to hang by my... Don't forget, in them days, you know, we didn't have safety nets. 
you just went, you just went across, you just did your, uh, did your, your, your solo performance or your double performance or whatever. Um, you had a sort of a net, but it was like on sticks. It, was, it wasn't that safe. You know, but I used to hang by me, me, me toes, I used to hang by my heels. I used to then throw myself back went and sit up on the, on the, I can still remember it, on the um, surprise, and then swing and then throw my arms back and spread my legs and catch myself with my ankles. In the end, Dad took the trapeze down when I used to practice in, in Brixton and he took it down. He didn't like me doing it. Uh, he, was, he, was a, he was a bit of a softie at times, which, which proved it in years to come when I was fighting. Uh, but all these things, you know, I, I used to, they, they used to rent me out to my uncle. Dad had 11 brothers and three sisters. And they all they were all in the circus or in show business or or had had um, side shows or something. And my uncle Tom, who was the oldest, he used to he used to ring up me dad and ask, "Can Mike come and uh, and give me a hand this season or or for two months or something?" You know. And I used to run around doing little chores, and then I used I used to feed the music through the organ. He used to have this big barrel organ thing, but it was massive and like a big steam engine. And you had the music was in sheets, like concertina sheets. Mm. And you used to have to feed it through, three, feed the holes through. And then while that was going through, if the people weren't coming in to watch the show, going up to me, Auntie Ethel, to take, you know, to pay the money, I nip out of the back have a different coat on and a, and a flat hat or something. And then I'd stand there and, and my Uncle Tom would be shouting out, you know, roll up, roll up, come and see the two-headed lady or whatever was on, you know, and nobody would come. So I used to walk, run up and put my money on my Auntie Ethel's and pretend to put a sixpence on or a tuppence or whatever it was and then go into the show. Then I'd take my coat off and my hat off and then carry on with the music, make sure that was feeding through. And then any, you know, any bits and pieces, Uncle Tom would come in and say, go do it again, or go do some, put another hat on, put something else on. Um, I go give, go, oh, I used to have to run around and make sure nobody was jibbing in, make sure all the pegs were down on the bottom of the tent, because otherwise they'd, they'd crawl underneath. Oh, yeah, they'd try anything, wouldn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we all we did it. We used to do it. We used to do it on the McEwen's boxing shows and stuff like that. It, you know the way um, back in the day there was a lot of boxing, a lot of prize fighting took place at the carnivals, at the festivals. Is that where you got your first taste of uh, fight that sports? Where, yeah, it was really because we used to. I used to earn a, a tanner or, or you know a couple of couple of pence, what have you. You didn't, you didn't earn much, but. With the, when you were on the fairground and you had the other fairground showbies, the kids um, running around and what have you, and we we go into the the um, get underneath course underneath the, the tent into like the McEwen's boxing shows, and if if nobody would take you know they they throw these challenges out these ex fighters and that they throw the challenges out, and he'd give us 
a couple of pence or something. Um, go and one of put these big 14, 16 ounce gloves on, and we'd have a tear up with one of the fairground kids. And then, you know, it was all laid on to do that, but we used to have a bit of a tear up. Um, and then he'd give us a couple of pence, surely it was really, but that was the start of it. But on the newspapers, used to used to watch. Uh, do you remember Peter Wilson from the um, from the da the Daily Mirror? He was a top sports writer, and in them days, boxing was was big. You know, it was like you had uh, uh, Joe Louis and Tommy Farr and all them sort. You know, it was back page, full page stuff, um, and. You know, it made it made big of course big news. I, I used to read it, I used to look at and and associate it with the likes of McEwen or the other boxing places. Um and of course it, it I, I I wasn't good at it, but I wasn't bad. And it's let's be fair, it's man's instinct is is to um to fight really, isn't it? As uh, to fight back too, like um, from back, from yeah. reading your story, like it it strikes me that as you turned around England and you know your family were going around in the, with the circus and you tried to keep up the school education. You're in a different school every week, and that's always going to lend itself to bullies or people trying to trying to punch you down, and well, you end up does. having to fight back, and you end up getting kind of handy with your fists and, and looking to and looking to fight a bit more. Yeah, well, you see. You go on new school. I remember um, the first time when the authorities caught up with me, I had to go to school when I was 13. And, I mean, in them days, they didn't have computers and that. They didn't know where the hell you were. You know, we could be anywhere. It could be next door to their office and they wouldn't know. So in them days, as I say, you, you go to school and there's always someone, when you were a new kid in school, there was always someone in your class that was caught at a class or caught at a school or something wanted to test you out to see whether you were any good, you know, wanted you to have a tear up. And when you were going to a different school every week, then, of, of course, the, the teachers would ask you to stand up and to tell them about your travelling and, um, and what it was like on these different shows. and, and um, uh, traveling from different different towns and cities um, and your experiences. And of course, you'd always get the odd kid in the school that was, or in the class that was a bit jealous, you know, and then you'd, you'd get pushed into a bit of a dig or... Um, it wasn't often, but it, it, it happened a few times. Uh, and I, I very rarely came off best. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't mind. I didn't mind a tear up, um, and I didn't mind for a lot of years, to be honest. I I was I was always a little bit aggressive, um, but uh, how did it, you come? How did you convert that kind of fairground fighting and you know schoolyard stuff to becoming an amateur boxer? I guess I think you had your first amateur fight in 1958. How did it come about? Because that's that's kind of seems more. Well, I, don't, I don't know how the amateur scene was back then, but it does seem more organised and proper than, I guess, fighting in the field against some other, some other kids. 
a lot more organized. Yeah, you know, you had to have a medical card and and you were weighed and all, you know, regularly, all the rest of it. You had to, you had to train. Yeah, and was your and was your dad the kind of disciplined guy? I know he's a disciplinarian in some ways, but is he disciplined enough to bring you boxing training and down to the club? No, 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 no. Now what happened was I moved up to Leeds because my mum's my, my grandma uh, ran a bed and breakfast place in Leeds. And she was she wasn't she was knocking on a bit. Uh, granddad had uh, her, which was my mum's mum, and uh, my mum's dad had died, and and uh, me me nan was looking after this um, this uh, bed and breakfast or a, bo- a boarding house. It's not really yeah, a bed and breakfast house. by today's standard, is it, Nicky? Like it's more of like a place for. It was a boarding house. Yeah, to work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, tough uh, place. Like that's right. It was a tough old place. You know, you'd have a tear up now and again. Um, well, they, the fellas would, you know, you get out, you keep out of the way. And, um, you know, they'd come in drunk out of the skins and what have you. And, um, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit rough. And, but I, I went there and I was, I remember to help me nan. And I remember one Saturday afternoon, be uh, someone like Grandstand and, and, and I was watching the TV. And there was amateur boxing on. And there was this guy, this little, well, this flyweight. He, was a, he boxed for England. And he was called Jeff Towers. And he, um, he, was, he boxed. They, they said he boxed for the Market District Boys Club in Leeds. I thought, oh, blimey, a boys club. I can go down there. You know, I thought, anyway, I, I found out where it was. And I went down and I joined. I joined this market district boys club and I loved it. I trained regular, you know, used to run down. I mean, I'm talking about you know, two, three miles. I used to run every day to um, uh, to, to the to the club, and which was the other side of me. I was one side, you know, that, that was the other side, and and I trained and really enjoyed it. You know, um, you 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 had to. You didn't have any. You had to spy, and I had to learn how to fight properly. How to the, the art of well, it's self-defense. You know, yeah. to defend yourself, not go like like you would do normally, like a lunatic. So yeah, you you got interested in boxing just from looking up to your idols, people like Rocky Marciano, yeah. and I'm sure you saw boxing in the fairground as well. People yeah, people I, in the crowd wanting to take on the the broken nose pro or the, the fellow with 500 fights, and they were earning a living right. and knocking out fellas. Like I said before, the um, we used to build up to uh, next to a boxing booth many a time with uh, with my uncle Tom or my dad. Different shows we had. I know the McEwen's booth was was uh, at a, a lot of shows at a lot of uh, fairgrounds. Um, and when I when I moved up to Leeds uh, to help uh, my mum's mum, my grandmother. Um, because she was she was ill and she had a, a some um, a bed and breakfast things uh, digs you know, and I made friends with some some lads there that were big into sport. They were rugby players, and I was watching I was watching the TV one one afternoon. I think it would be something like uh, um, Dickie Davis, uh, you know, grandstand something like that. 
and there were boxing on. And there were this young flyweight came on, boxing for England. And they called him, I always remember his name, Jeff Towers. Uh, and it said from the Market District Boys Club in Leeds. And wanting to join a club, I was a bit of a loose end. I wanted to do something. And because um, it was all rugby when he came up to Leeds. So um, I joined, I joined the, the um, Market District Boys Club. And I, I was a, I don't know how long I was a member there for, but I boxed for them. I had um, 40 odd fights. And uh, funny, funny enough, I, I, made, I made my amateur debut in Hull. And I beat a lad on points and the whole boulevard it was, fish, the Fish Friars Association or something like that. And uh, I, I, you sort of remember your first, don't you? And I, when I turned pro uh, later on in life, which uh, was uh, five or six years, and I made my pro debut in Hull again and won again. That was quite lucky for me. Although the second time I went, I got beaten. So only on points, but I got beaten. And they booed it, so I, that was even better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I, uh, so I, I, I was an amateur for a good few years. Um, and, and I don't know. What did your dad think about it when you started up? Dad never liked it. Dad, um, I, I, I can't understand why. But he he wanted me to wrestle, and and he said you don't get hurt with wrestling, and and I used to when I was when I was in London when we were in winter quarters in Brixton, and I used to walk when I walked down the town we used to walk down past a place called Dale Martin Promotions, and that was a wrestling place, and it was all the pro wrestlers were training. And I used to watch them, and they were practicing the moves and what have you. And but I liked. I wanted to, if I were going to have a fight, I wanted to to either to be hurt or, or hurt somebody. You know, not not being um, nasty or anything. But that's what it's about. You know, you yeah, you, you need you, you need that bit of that bit of excitement about it. And it's, it's like anything, it's pitting yourself against uh, against an opponent. It's like animals, you know, um, pitting them, they, they want to win. And... Um, was it, what, like, what was the dream for you as an amateur boxer? Like, we become, you know, British champion, make it to the Olympic Games, or just no, enjoy, was, enjoy the sport? I, en I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed it. Was I? What happened was um, I I um, was was boxing and fell out with my dad, and so I uh, I I was living, of course, with him and thinking I, I I knew what I was doing. I was fifteen years old, fifteen and a half years old, and I I thought I'd, I'd had enough. And I said to him, uh, you know, um, I, I don't want to wrestle. I want to, I want to box. And we, we had an argument. I can't remember what it was. And I, I got a beanie bonnet, and I went and packed my clothes and what I had, 
and I put a little brown leather suitcase. You know, you probably won't remember but these little suitcases. And I'm walking down, I'd had enough. And I was, because I'd lived with my grandma and I had a bit of a free reign. I could do, you know, I could go here, go there. And then dad comes up and takes over the house. You're and crapping your style, yeah. And so I, I packed everything and I'm, I just get to the, it was nighttime and I got to the, the front door and we had this big twisting <laughs> staircase. And my dad came down and shouted me when I got to the door and said, what are you doing? And, and I said, um, I've had enough, Dad, I'm going. So he said, well, you, you step out of that door. He said, don't ever bother coming back. So I did that and I never did. I said, well, I never saw him again for seven years. And till I was, well, till I was 21. So I was just short of 15. And I, I, slept, I slept in the local park on the first night. I had a couple of bob in my pocket because I, I had part-time jobs. I was a laundry boy. And I also, what helped me with my boxing was I used to go, you used to get prizes. You know, you, you didn't get paid. It was an amateur and they were very, you know, everything was amateur. In them days, amateur was amateur. You didn't get paid anything, although you did on the side of it. And I used to fight as often as I could, get a fight. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't bothered about medals and what have you. Though know, it's nice to win a medal and a, your county badge and all the rest of it. But I wanted prizes because... When I, when, I, when I won a prize, I used to take it down to the local boozer, which was um, the plasterer's arms, and the, the landlord in there used to have a raffle on a, on a Friday night. And he'd raffle my prizes and give me what he made. Well, he didn't give me what he, he'd give me what he told me. Give you a bit of it, yeah. Yeah, but, but I was quite happy. It would, pay, it would pay a week's rent, you know, maybe a couple of weeks' rent. Um, on on and I had a paper round as well before I went to work, so it was only it was one pound fifty a week for uh, for a bed sitter. So that uh, that's that just sort of kept me in. The boxing kept me going. Yeah, and, and, then, and it also afforded you a bit of status as well. That uh, you're about to enter a new phase of your life as well. You discovered women and a whole new yes. world of trouble opened up. Yes, it did. It did as it happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that was one reason why I turned pro, um, because um, I met this girl, got married, and a bit short of money. So um, I went. I went to, um, to to. I thought, what can I do? I went to my local boxing club, the, the Market District Boxing Club. But at the time, then. Uh, because a guy, a manager called Trevor Callaghan was looking after fighters there. And I thought I might be able to, um, you know, to sign professional forms with him. I might be able to make a couple of bob. So I went there and he, he, didn't, he didn't want anything to do with me, really. But he put me on to um, another a manager, another manager called Tommy Miller, who had a stable uh, in Bradford which wasn't far from me. So um, 
So I went, I, I went to see Tommy and I said, um, well, first of all, I, I thought, what can I do? I said, can I, can, oh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping the gun there because um, I went back to him a couple of times. The story goes on a bit later. So uh, I went to him and, and I, I turned pro. He, he, he gave me a couple of, um, a, a couple of t- four or five rounds in the ring to see what I was like. Um, I applied for a license. But then with me being out of boxing, out of the amateur game for a bit, I had to go, the, the area council, the central area council wanted to see me to see how I boxed. So they put me on a trial bout. And I came through that all right, came through it quite well anyway, in Manchester, and then went back and they, they gave me my license. There were medicals, do your medical and all the rest of it. And 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 got my license as a as a pro. And fully enough, I remember one time I was uh, I went back to the market. I had a had a fight coming up. Uh, on the Monday, I, I was fighting at um, the top of the bill at, at the National Sporting Club. And and I went, I wanted a little bit more sparring. And we didn't spar on a Saturday. And I was fighting on the Monday. So I went to, I went up to the market district and I said to Trevor, um, can I can I do a bit of sparring? Um, you know, I could take uh, with Alan, Alan Richardson. He was, uh, well, he was a British champion. He came on to be British champion, featherweight champion. And I said, we're still friends. We still see each other. Uh, at the Leeds Xboxes. And and I said um, to Alan, as I was getting in the ring, you know, I said, um, hey, but just three or four rounds, I said, we take it a little bit easy. I said, um, I don't want any cuts or anything. I'm fighting on Monday. So uh, he said, where are you? I said, I'm top of the bill at uh, the National Sporting Club. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, are you fighting? So I said, a guy called uh, George McGurk. And he said, oh, my God, he said, the hardest puncher I've ever met. <laughs> oh, I said, Alan, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realise what he was saying, and we still have a laugh about it. But funnily enough, I put him down twice, pull the things up on the right up and whatever. I put him down twice. And the second time I put him down, I thought, whoa, that's a belter. Went back to the neutral corner. Turned round and it's every fighter's nightmare, and he's you hit him with a oh, you know he was he went down lovely, and when he turned round and he stood there on on his toes bouncing around waiting for me to turn back round and come and come and get hold of him, and I thought oh my god I'm in for trouble here, uh, but that was it he had he was a, he was lovely was uh, George. He's uh, he's not like well at the moment. Came from came from Chesterley Street. Um, that's about. There's other stories. That's about. It's a good story about uh, Ken Ken Buchanan Square. Oh, Ken, you? yeah, yeah. I was fighting. This was a uh, this was another late substitute job, and I was fighting at Nottingham Ice Rink. And it was a lovely day, and I, I get, I, I get, I'm quite brown. I turn brown quite easy, you know. I lived outside all my life, sort of thing, uh, on the fairgrounds and what have you. And a bit of sunshine, and I got tanned, and it was lovely and beautiful sunshine. 
And you used to get weighed in, or everybody got weighed in at one o'clock. On doesn't matter whether you were top of the bill, bottom of the bill, whether you were, whoever you were, you got weighed in at one o'clock. That was it. So um, I was there, and I'm I'm stripped off, and I'm getting I'm waiting, and Ken Buchanan's there, and he, he's staring at me, and then he comes past, and he, he gives me a little nudge, and I thought, bloody hell's up with him? I never even met him. I knew him. That's who we knew. He was a, a cracking amateur. Um, and and I thought, well, I don't know. So anyway, they shout my name, but we got we got um, to get weighed in 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 the uh, in the ring in in the ice rink. So I got up and they shouted Mickey Van and and got in, got on the scales, you know, eight stone twelve, coming down. Coming down the, the the steps to get out, and Ken's waiting for me. And I thought, Jesus Christ, what have I done? And I, I got yes, to the sir. bottom, and he said, "Oh, he said, uh, are you all right, Mickey?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, you know, I can't remember it word for word." But I said, yeah, I says, um, uh, "What's the matter?" He says, "Ah, oh, he's all right." He says, "Because he was fighting a Puerto Rican," and I said, "He said." I thought I was fighting you. I said, oh, I'm bloody glad you're not. Yeah. Uh, and as it happened, he was, I was in the dressing room at night and they said, you know, I was warming up and I heard them shout, Ken, you know, Ken Buchanan, and they came in and told me, Ken Buchanan's getting in the ring now, you're the fight after it. So, all right. So I starts getting warmed up a bit on the pads and what have you. And... Within four or five minutes, he was walking back. He he flattened the guy. So um, I, I think it was the first round. I'm pretty sure it was the first round. If you look at the records, you'll see. And we passed each other. And I said, "I told you, I'm I'm glad I wasn't." <laughs> <laughs> where does he rank? Uh, where does he rank among the, the best British fighters you've seen in the flesh? Because you've refereed and judged some of the greatest. The all-time best. The all-time best. And the reason I'm saying that is any fighter that can top the bill at Madison Square Garden five times, and one of those times, the chief support to Ken Buchanan was Muhammad Ali. Uh, that, that tells you something, how uh, to, to top the bill five times at, at the square. Never mind being um, Muhammad Ali, the, who was Cassius Clay at the time, but never mind him being being the chief support. You know, you'd expect him to have been the top of the bill, which shows to me just how much value Ken Buchanan had, even over the, over the other side of the water. Well, actually, just before before we do move on from your boxing career, like, do you feel... That you left a bit behind? Do you feel that you had unfulfilled talent? It's like a different era, obviously. You're boxing throughout the late 60s, early 70s. You've got a young family. You've got to scrape around. You've got to duck and dive, keep up your work, and probably couldn't commit as much to the boxing as you would have liked. No, I, I didn't. I didn't take it seriously yeah. enough, to be honest. I mean, I can tell, I can, I can give you an example. And me and, and young Silky, John Silkson, me and young Silky, we were both fighting in Howard. And we, we went over there and uh, got weighed in. And Tommy said, our manager, we both had the same manager. And he said, um, do you want me to get you a hotel? I said, no, no. Because 
you know, you're, you're losing a day's wage. You're, you're, you're having to pay for a hotel out of your purse. So, no, we didn't. We, so we went, we said, oh, no, we'll, we'll be up at the stadium. We'll go to the pictures or something. But we went to the park and we chop and tailed it on the bench, on the local bench, uh, on, you know, on, on the park bench and had a sandwich and a bottle of pop and a cigarette. Yeah, that's uh, the life of an athlete there, and you're probably working the, the night shift or the early shift the following day as well. And yeah, it's uh, it's different. All right, what what brought the professional boxing to an end for you before you moved into becoming an official? What what was the reason that you walked away? What age were you when, when you hung up the gloves? Um, I'll have been about 28, 29. But in those days, we didn't know, we didn't have the information that we have now about training. We didn't have it about dieting. You know, I would, I'm a tall lad for a bantamweight. And the mate eight stone 10, eight stone 12 was a struggle. And what I used to do is I'd weigh myself at around about seven, eight o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night the previous day. And if I was overweight, then I had nothing to drink from then until the dinner time the following day when I was getting weighed, and I could lose probably two, three, sometimes four pounds. Mm. You were quite weak. You know, you'd get weighed in, uh, and then you'd go straight down, get some beans on toast and a pint of tea. But it took, you know, it took it out of you, and you, didn't, you don't have to do that. You know, so things, I don't know. It, was, it, was, it was hard. It was hard. I should have, and, and I should have taken it more seriously. Plus the fact I had a lot of grief for my missus as well. My, well, my old missus, not that, not that this one. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, we had a family and she wanted more, wanted me to be doing more. I was working, you know, and I was training and I was fighting. Um, yeah, according to your you, book, Give Me a Ring, you'd, you'd come home and you'd... If you'd lost a fight, I mean, you're you're entering into like yeah. something of with, with all due respect, like a like slight journeyman kind of angle to your career. You have gloves, will travel. You're willing to show yeah. up at short notice as a substitute, and you come home with black eyes and broken noses. And instead of kind of getting consoled for you, it was oh, you've lost again. You got shot or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's not that very was what it was like. You know, uh, you know, I I suppose you got beat or something like that. You yeah. know, um, it wasn't how did you go on and. But I was I enjoyed it, but it but the thing was it was it would be it would be playing paying two or three months wages at one fight. I mean two or three months mortgage. You know the, the mortgage. I had a, I had a semi detached house, um, a chalet bungalow anyway, and uh, you know we had two bathrooms. Um, so and and it was it was twenty pound a month. Mortgage, you know. Well, I could earn. I, I'd have a fight, and I'd earn sort of four months' mortgage on that. Mm. You know, your motivation uh, to become an official. What was it? It wasn't necessarily based on money, was it? What, but what was possibly an extra earner? But it was more so. You miss boxing after a couple of years out of it. Yeah, I missed, that was I a way. That was a way that was suggested to get back involved. Uh, well, I did miss it. Um, I was doing a lot of ducking and diving, then selling cars and, and having a 
um, a vegetable, a greengrocer's round, you know, out of the back of a van with a pair of scales. And I, I missed, I did miss the game. So I went to see, that's when I went to see Tommy, my old manager. And, and I said to him, um, you know, Tommy, can I, can I help you with the coaching and, and, and the training of the fighters? Um, I thought that, you know, I could, I could be a, do a seconds license and trainer's license and stuff like that. And he said, um, Mickey, what in God's name could you teach anybody? So he said, but I think he had, a, I think he had a, a, an ulterior motive. And he said, um, why don't you become a referee? And, and I thought, well, that's not bad, is that? You know, I keep, keep still involved. He said, he said, what do you want to do is apply to the Central Area Council and they will have you up for an interview. They'll ask you the, the, um, the uh, questions on boxing and, and you know, uh, on refereeing. So get the learn the rules of the boxing rules. And if there's only nine, there's a little booklet that the boxing board of control had, and there were nine the nine rules. And what I did, I got this little booklet, and I cut it up in bits, and then I got sellotape, and I cut the bits off, yeah. scrambled them about, and then I got sellotape, and every page I stuck back together. Well, that's, of course, I had to keep reading them, didn't I? Yeah, I bet you'd have. I bet you do a good job at uh, reciting them now, probably as well. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I know quite a few of them, um, and and I I, I learned that um, I got I had applied for the uh, a job, um, and uh, and um, not a job, an interview, and they they sent me to I had to go to Bellevue on a Sunday on this Sunday, and and when I walked in. Um, I, I, they were all, all the, the committee members or um, the board of control on the central area members, and they were all sat around. And I believe there was nineteen of them. And you stand there, and they they ask you questions. What would you do in this situation or that situation? And as I as I walked in, one of the managers shouted, "Bernie's after you!" And what it was. Uh, I, one of my t- couple of upsets that I caused, Bernie Nichols was fighting in front of his own, in Manchester, in front of his own crowd, and he was number 10 in the rankings. And I stopped him in three rounds. So he, he, uh, he said I, I headbutted him, but I didn't. Uh, I mean, I didn't get that close enough. Uh, I had a good jab, and he, I, I caught him. Um, in fact, I fought him again. And he beat me on points, but I cut his eye a couple of times. Um, uh, but we're not bad enough to, you know, to, um, to, to cause a stoppage. And he, and he outpointed me. Um, but so I went, I, I, I passed through this, um, th- these questionnaires and what have you, and, you know, question and answers. And they said, yeah, you know, you're okay. Um, but what you have to do now, they said, is you've got to score on a ringside. So you've got to, and I, I did this for two years, scoring at ringside. And what you do, they gave you, they give you a scorecard, 
a book of scorecards, and then you go to a different shows that they tell you, go to this show, that show, whatever show, at your own expense, and you go there and sit at ringside, and that's if they let you. Yeah, sit at ringside and score, score the fight, and then you give your sheet in to the inspector. The inspector puts it against the the proper referee, you know, the referee in the ring, and because he gives him his, his sheet as well. And they look at it and they they take. Now it's not necessary that your scores have to be the same. Your rounds have to be very very much the same as well. You know, it's no good being having the same score but having the, through different rounds. So you've got to understand the fight game. So one, I mean, I, there, was, there was a um, there was a promoter, Johnny Griffin, in in, in the Midlands. I mean, I used to go all over the country uh, for these shows. As, as I say, at your own expense. He even made me pay to go yeah. in, and I sat seven rounds, something like seven seven. Uh, rose back and then and scored it and then had to get, get, give my thing and I had to pay as I say I had to yeah. pay to get in you're working with your hands tied behind your back there and uh, the job as a referee almost ended before it even began for you didn't it uh, oh yeah this... yeah it's um, it's <laughs> I mean funny enough things are a bit racial aren't they now but you keep getting on about race and what have you and I I got I got um where I, I qualified enough to, to get in the ring. So now um, all my scorecards are okay. So now I get in the ring. But what you do, you have a star grade referee outside the ring. And I'm inside the ring. Now I score it. Now if there's a stoppage, if I stop it, then that's that's right, that's counted. But when if it goes a distance, my score doesn't count. This, what they do is the the um, star grade referee will point to the corner that's the winner, and then and they'll they'll tell they'll give his scorecard in, and they'll announce his scorecard, not mine. So and then they look at my scorecard against the star grade referees. You understand? Mm. So so as I say, the only way it was my decision was if it was stopped. So at the end of the the end of the fight, then you look at the star grade referee. He will point to which corner he wants you to lift the hand up. Well, it was a guy called Joe Jackson from from Birmingham. And the other one was um, oh, Summit Smith, well, Manchester lad, Billy Smith or something. I've got his name somewhere. And one was black, one was white. So end of the fight, went the distance. And I'm looking at Tom, the star grade referee, which was Wally Tom, the ex-fighter, former welterweight champion, British Commonwealth European, you know, top guy and a star grade referee. And I'm looking at him and he's looking down. And then he looked up and he went and pointed to the corner. Well, in that meantime, these two lads 
had crossed over. They'd gone to see each other's corner. So I went over to the, uh, to the, um, the corner, but they'd crossed over and I lifted the wrong fella's hand up. No. So, and <laughs> Nat Basso was in the ring and he said, I God, what's going on? So, and then I told you, oh, and Wally Tom's down there shouting at me, no, no. Frantic, oh. yeah. So, so I lifted the right hand up and then I got out of the ring. And then when, when, when Nat Basso, the, the, who was a promoter as well, and when he got out of the ring and he shouted um, to the, the secretary, which was uh, Nicholson, I can't remember his first name, Nicholson. And he said, don't ever let him referee again. He will never, ever make a referee. And that was it. And, and I was gutted, absolutely gutted. I'd spent, I'd spent, well, nearly two years, you know, traveling around. And, and then I finally got in the ring to do. And at this stage, were you certain? This, uh, like you, you'd found the passion for it. You know, obviously at the start, you're just kind of thinking, this could be interesting, whereas now you're determined. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be good at this. I'm gonna be the best at this. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I'm not with you. Sorry. What, what, what's the question? I suppose at this stage of your development as a referee, you're locked in, and um, your ambitions are to rise yeah. ahead in the game and to become a top referee. It's not at this stage something that you're just maybe dipping your toe into. You've decided. At no, this no. I, I, I'm all I, in. I. It's like. I mean, I'm. I'm a bit, I'm a bit um, flash, I suppose, in a way. I enjoy being in the ring. I know it's not about me, but I enjoy yeah. being in. Did you that. prefer being a referee to a to a judge, for instance? Yeah, yes, yeah, far better. You know, you're you're you're, <coughs> you're more hands on. Um, I enjoyed being in there. I enjoyed the decisions. You know, I was. I was the one. Yeah, I could make a fight or break it. You know, I. What could, make I, what makes a good referee, Mickey? Uh, obviously, you have to have a knowledge of the rules, respect yeah, of the fighters, one. treat them like adults. But what what do you makes a good boxing referee? You you have to, you have to have a bit. I I always called both of my fighters. Um, depending, hopefully, they had the, both had the. the um, a different first name. The odd time they didn't, and I'd call them the second name. But I always called the boxers by their first name. I never call them, you know, like saying, say, Van, stop that, you know, keep your hands down or do, you know, watch your head or something like that. I think, you know, I would, I would talk to them, you know, um, what's your head, Jerry? You know, and, and things like and, and let them feel that you're not there to, 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 order them about and shout at them and you're there to look after them. Um, I think, I think you should have a bit of, you should have um, some sympathy. I mean, there are, there are times when I've, I've had fighters where they've, they're getting a beating, but they're all, they're not getting a beating enough to stop. But they're putting so much into, you know, they're, they're the underdogs. You've always got these where, you know, where the late substitute, the underdog, the underdog. And he's got to the last round, you know, and, and things like, um, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll move up to him and I'll say, you know, all right, fellas, that both fighters will say I've, I've, I've given everything. 
and it's and it's the last round. And I said, all right, you can have a hold, you know, just two or three, you know, 20 seconds, just look like you're doing something. Right, all right, I'll just break away now. And 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 stuff like that. Um So you feel do you feel over your career you've you've carried a few guys to the last last bell, kind of the warrior spirit or whatever said, this guy really wants to last the distance. I'm gonna help him, you know, get to the yeah, last. Yeah, I have done. Yeah. Yeah. I've given them warnings where there shouldn't be a warning. You know, I've I've still boxing, you know. Oh yeah, listen, stop holding. You know, ref, I'm not holding. I know you're not. <laughs> yeah, that's your fighters' background. I suppose some, some refs don't have that. You do. Sorry, you have what? That's your background as a professional boxer, having you know entered yes, entered into I refereeing think, ranks. I do think that myself in any sport that every official should have done that sport in some capacity, whether it be an amateur or pro. He should do it because he has a feeling of what the fighters are going to. I mean, I've, I have many a time, um, I've seen fighters, uh, they're, taking a bit of a, they're taking a bit of stick, not necessarily enough to stop it, but let, and, and you, you're watching them and, you, and then you have, I don't know, you get this feeling he wants to call it a day. And you know for a fact he wants to call it a day, but when you step in, you know, 100% he's going to say, I'm all right, ref. No, I'm all right. And I grab hold of him and I say, yeah, you're all right. But, you know, you're not, you'll live to fight another day, you know. It's a massive, a massive judgment call as well, that because you could be hated by this guy for life and not just him, his family, his friends, his fans, his supporters, his sponsors, his benefactors, yeah, every, everybody going to hold a grudge and you got to make this split second decision. But he's still alive. Mm. You know what I mean? He's still, he's, he's not, he, he's, he's good. Has at, anyone, has anyone hated you for years for pulling them out too early? In their opinion? No, I had somebody, I'm not going to say his name, but he's from Bradford and he was a champion. And, um, he hated me and still does, um, for not giving him the verdict. And it was a it was a championship, a Commonwealth title, and I gave it against him. And and uh, um, the 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 secretary of the board was there, uh, which was Smith at the time, which, which was Robert Smith. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was Robert Smith at that. But Robert was there and came up and he said, "All right, this is Mickey," and I gave it to the African fighter. Instead of the the uh, the British buyer, um, and he sent me texts and all sorts. And I'm talking about a few years later, calling me the c word, and you're still and told me I hope you die of cancer, a horrible death. You know, uh, he was the only one, to be honest, the only one that um, that really. Did you did you care? Did I care? Yeah. Did it hurt? Um, did it hurt your feelings or? Yeah, it did a bit. Yeah, it did. It. it um, yeah, it wasn't very nice, but um, I, I, I don't know what I felt. To be honest, I felt quite angry. 
But um, did I care? Well, you're bound to care, you know, and that sort of thing. It didn't. It didn't sort of make me think, oh, I better not do that again or anything like that. It, it's it, that was, you know. Were there any other decisions that you gave or pulling out a fight or too soon, maybe in your head? Did you second guess yourself after making the decision? Was there any down the line, maybe a day or two later, you thought, I got that one wrong or I shouldn't have pulled him out. He had more in the tank or I maybe I changed my score if I could do it all again. I got caught up in the heat a moment or whatever it was. No, because the only man that can see, the only person that can see the fight 100% is the referee. He moves around. I moved around. I was pretty, pretty tidy on my feet and used to move around to people to, to, between the fighters, you know, around the fighters, so I could get all the action to make sure. A judge sits there in one spot and he has one, one view and he, he scores it from that view. You know, he does. I, I can move around all over. I prefer a judge to score. Let's be fair. But um, because I've, I'm doing a lot as it is. Well, let's look. Let's look at some of the fights you judged. I think your first world title fight might have been. Correct me if I'm wrong. Dennis Andrews versus Tony Simpson. You, yes. You, re- you judged for uh, big names like Marlon Starling, Daniel Zaragata. You did uh, Lennox Lewis against Glenn McCrory, Terry Norris against and Glenn against uh, we did Lennox against um, Tony Tucker as well. Okay. Tony, is he biting your feet? <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I live in the countryside, right? And uh, anytime he hears a diesel engine, which is every thirty-five seconds, <laughs> he thinks there's a. He thinks my dad is outside, or there's oh, a tractor, right. or there's a jeep, or something like that. So yeah, he's uh, like a good mechanic. Yeah, then. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. A bit like yourself. <laughs> you learn. I know you learned the trade. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but did, was there was there many fights that which fight could you pick out that you judged that you wish you were a bit closer to the action? Did I wish I was a bit closer as the referee, like yeah, yeah, so you could be right there. If if I if if it was me, I would say Chavez and Whitaker. Um, that, that's a big that's a big chapter in your life, that one. Yes, yes, it is, and I'm still I I still to this day think I'm right or know I'm right. Never mind think I know I'm right. Um, Joe Cortez was wrong. He was wrong. He should have at least taken the point off. Uh, I mean, this when- is for a low blow from uh, Whitaker on yeah. Chavez. Yeah. This was a this was a super fight, pound for pound one versus pound for pound two. Chavez moved up in weight. You yeah. judged this and gave it a draw when yeah. most of the US boxing media and and people gave it to Todd Whitaker one and and Britain and Britain. Yeah, consensus was that Whitaker was a winner, but. You had it as a draw, and you still stand right. over that uh, verdict. Right. But you were you were you were accused of all sorts being being a bench yeah. judge, effectively uh, being in. Yeah, they said King's they pocket. said I'd taken uh, was it fifty fifty thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or something from Don King. Um, I, I I used to rush down to the letter well, box. Did, did, well, did you? Let's do, let's deal with it. Did you? Well, <laughs> did I? <laughs> I went well to the letterbox every morning and I'm still waiting for it. That's Don King. <laughs> well, now, you, you wouldn't do anything like that. You know, I wouldn't. No. You do anything like that, then 
you somebody's bound to find out and you you you're you're done for life. You know, I'd never I would never referee the world heavyweight title. I would never be refereeing in a, in, in what I've refereed in 40 odd different countries all over the world. You know, I would have never been able to do that. Uh you wouldn't it's it's something you just wouldn't do. You know, I mean I've I've had I had I was in I was in um Thailand one time, uh Talada and and um I can't remember the other guy's name. And in fact Sochitalada lost. But they tried that I had a guy came to my bedroom, uh, a hotel room, and offered me I can't remember, I think that was about twenty thousand to make sure that I scored it for um for the other guy, not Sochi Delada, the other guy. I could have told him there and then that Sochi Delada wouldn't wouldn't win. It took him three goes to the scales to get three ounces off. How's he gonna win? He's even nothing left. And um, but the guy the it seems that the judge, one of the other judges, did take a bribe because I was told later on. That he'd been that um, it was over all over. When I got home, it was all over the TV and the radio and whatever that the the guy, uh, one of the judges, had taken a bribe and uh, and they'd kicked him out and all the rest of it. But it, it was the guy was stopped. Sotchitalada was stopped. You know, it didn't make any difference anyway. I don't think I gave him a round. Did you uh, did the the blowback from the Chavez Whitaker fight affect you much? No, no, I had um, I had to give evidence at the uh, Senate committee, um, but no, I, I'm to this day, I know I did, I scored it right, um, and but you know they're not going to say that their own guy was wrong, um, Joe Cortez. They're not going to say, oh no, yeah, he should have done this. They can say, I, I should have done it, and the only thing was, it was one round. And it was around that that um, Chavez, that Whittaker hit Chavez in the goalies and he hit him. We went up to his bloody elbow. And Joe stopped the fight, put the other guy to the uh, Whittaker to the corner and had a word with, with uh, Chavez. So what he did, he agreed that it was a foul. Now it was a bad foul. Made his eyes, made my eyes water. Never mind his. So that was that. That to me should have been a point off. He then, in that round, did it again. Not as hard, but but did it again and made him dip. made him dip at the knees, uh, Chavez. So, but he ignored it. Cortez ignored it. Now I come to score. Now. How can I score the fight to Whitaker, the, the round to Whitaker, when he's hit him in the goalies twice? Now, you know yourself, when you've been hit down there, it takes a bit of getting over, even though you've got a cup. You know, he had a dent in his cup. You know, you've got your, your protector on, but it still hurts. So I scored that round to Chavez, not Whitaker. Right. So at the end of the fight, Franz Marty has it a draw, the same as me. I have it a draw. 
Jack Woodhead, the American judge, has it one round to um, Whitaker, right? One round. So now it's it's a majority draw. Okay. Now that one round, I gave the last round to Whitaker, to um, Chavez. Franz Marty gave the last round to Chavez. The public, the TV, and everybody else gave the last round to Chavez, except Jack, the American judge. Now, nobody said anything about that. But if he'd have given that round to um, Chavez, instead of giving it to Whitaker, like everybody else had done, he'd have had a draw as well. So what was wrong with that? So how can Whitaker be so far in front? How could it be so good that three of us would have had it a draw? Two of us had it a draw, and one of us had it, one of them who was who was um, who was a bit uh, biased for, for that one round. Anyway, how can he? He would have had, he would have had it a draw. Well, I don't know if all publicity is good publicity, but you bounced back pretty quickly. You got the biggest fight of your career then shortly after you got Louis Bruno. I think uh, Larry Merchant was quite critical of you. Uh, did, he, did he say it's like it's like the wolf being given the flock or something like that, or given the shepherd's he job? He's, he uh, was critical of you. Well, um, I think it's included in your book. It's 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 just it's just what they call it bad. I forget what the word is now, but he it, it, it just, it just upset that, that one of his American uh, referees didn't get it. You know, that, that I was, I was, I mean, I was sort of big news then, you know, and, and I hadn't done anything wrong. You know, I hadn't done... Uh, any of my none of my refereeing uh, uh, achievements up until then had been had been uh, disputable. You know, did it, did it overshadow your greatest achievement, or like even ever so slightly? Or were you able to move on and say, "Listen, I'm doing an all British world heavyweight title fight here"? Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh yeah, I just in that back of my mind, I just yeah. I never it, it didn't bother. The only the only thing was the American newspapers kept bringing <clears> me up. Washington Post and what have you, and I just said the same thing. You know, I tell you, I tell them. Um, you know, they, 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 that the Americans, uh, a lot of the, I mean, we we get a bit like that. But if they're, if they're, if if they, if it's not going for them, they're not playing. You know, they want they want all the big fights. They want them to be, or they used to have, want them to be in America. They still want them to be in America. The only thing is, they haven't got any bloody fighters over there now. <laughs> well, there's a few. There's a few. There's a few going up now, though. There's a few. No, they're not. They're they're, they're lacking there in the heavyweights. All right, and we, we can touch on the heavyweights soon. And um, but refereeing that fight, uh, Lewis Bruno, like Bruno was an idol. I was a kid at the time. Looked up to Frank. You know, we loved Frank Bruno. Didn't know too much yeah. about Lewis as a kid. And um, but Lewis was quite devastating against him, and, and Frank showed his frailties. Yeah, which we all knew about. We all knew about, really. Um, he, uh, yeah, he he was more muscle bound than than yeah. 
when he got hit on the chin, he was too proud to take a knee. You know, when when um, when Lewis hit him, when it was when I stopped it, if if he'd have just taken a knee and pulled himself round a bit, but he but he didn't. He, you know, he just lays back on the ropes, and which he, he used to do all the time. If he could get to the rope, and he would just stand there and try and and try and duck and weave. But what's but it he, like? What's it like being the third man in there as these? Kind of giants, I guess. Lewis is a giant, yeah, an enormous puncher. What's it like being in there, you know, as the it, third man yourself? How how much power do you feel coming off them? Ah, oh, it, it's it's how much power? My God, it, it's like it's like a steamroller. You know, you sort of think to yourself, God, I'm glad that didn't hit me. Things like that, you know. It's um, yeah, you're you're also very very nervous. You. You've got, I mean, there were 93 million people on the TV that watched it, according to what, what I was told. And you're, you, you don't want to make a mess because you, you might never get the chance again or you might, that you might make a, you know, upset that many people that, that you never get a show again, you never get a world title again or something like that. So, you know, it's... You, you just concentrate on doing the job and doing it to the best you can and hoping you get everything right. You sort of say to yourself, move around, Mickey, make sure that he's not doing this, make sure you talk to yourself, you know, do this and, and think about things. I mean, I knew, I knew one time I, and I, I was wrong. I swore um, at, at Frank. I knew for a fact that he was going to go in a clinch at some time and he was going to hit Lennox at the back of the head. He always did it. He used to get in a clinch and then bang, 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 back at head. So when, it, when I, I, I said, stop boxing and fall apart, and I told him. And, but I, didn't, the, I, I wasn't mic'd up or anything like that like they are nowadays, and they used to be then. There was no mic. But I didn't, even when I gave my instructions, Mike Goodall put the mic in front of me so that they could hear. So as far as I was concerned, nobody could hear me. But what it was, these mics up at the top, you know, that come down from the lights and round oh, yeah. there. Drop down, yeah. Everything up. I, I'm not technically minded about that. You know, I'm a chippy. I want a joiner. Now... You know, I, I didn't know about, about picking it up. And what I said to him was when I swore and I thought, I said to myself quickly, if, if when I was fighting, a referee had said to me, you know, don't you fuck about or, or something like, you know, that else you'll be out the ring, then I would have thought this guy means it. You know, I'll better behave myself. You know, you wouldn't expect to hear it. And that was the adapt. Um, and it was called agricultural language. Um, didn't do me any good, but I wouldn't have done it if I'd have realised about, about um, you know, the audios. It seems, it seems surprising to me now that something like, you know, just muttering the F word would go down. I, I know these days, like, 
a corner man says the says the f word in Sky, or oh, we apologize for any language that you might have overheard. And this could be at like four a.m. on the Las Vegas fight, and yeah. uh, you know who's going to complain? But I believe it's kind of offcom related and stuff like that. But it just still seems peculiar that in the the world that you grew up in, you know, you know, living on fairgrounds in in, in yeah. a circus, yeah. you know what I mean? Like and. The, Although saying that among, among the bombs of World War II is is when you grow <laughs> up and you know that this was no PC era really and you mutter the effort to two giant heavyweights who were about to punch the heads off each other and all of a sudden you know Mickey Van mutters the effort and and suddenly it's <laughs> story like I don't I don't understand it. No, well, um, I suppose we have to be seen to be right. Look, yeah. This, yeah. The, the, the fights seen by millions of people around the world as well. So, Mickey M, we're flying along. We're gonna have so much, so much to discuss. Uh, a very famous fight you're involved in, uh, possibly not pr- prior to the fight because who knew what a classic it was going to turn into and what a storyline it was going to become. But was Earl against Katsidis in 2005? Oh yeah, I'm sure yeah. you're asked about it a lot. The, uh, yeah, the tail I, I comes in to rescue Earl, and you're not having it. No, because it's like I've just been talking about, or just earlier on, was a referee should, like I said, have had the experience of either a pro or amateur of being in the ring and doing the sword, doing the sport that he's refereeing. And I had that feeling. I've been on the end of the punches. I mean, I think. Better, best referees uh, or of any sport are those that haven't been up at the top. I think they're those that have had to take punches uh, as, a, as a boxer, in boxing especially, that have had to have had to had a good hiding now and again, that know what it's like, that know what it's like to sit your ass on the canvas, that know what it's like to, to climb up and, and not be... be too steady on your feet and, and try and fool the referee. They know all this sort of thing. They know when a guy's had enough, if he's taken a bit and he's pretending to shoot back, but really he's had enough. Now, uh, I knew that, or I, as far as I was aware, I, I knew, to, in my mind, I knew that, that when he went, that when the towel come in, came in, Graham still had a fair bit left. So I just threw it out. But who's to say that that towel came, didn't come from Johnny Eames, uh, that his, his, tra- you know, his trainer and manager, etc. Who to say that didn't come from a guy that was, that was sat in the front row or the second row who had a bet that... The, the fight would finish that day, that, that round, in that minute. Sling the towel in. The referee sees it, right, calls it off. Yeah, because your eyes are only on the two fighters. So just yeah, for anyone cool. that's listening that doesn't, doesn't fully recall. You know, it was to say he wanted his mother throwing it in because she was, she was upset that he was, he'd, been, he'd been knocked down. Yeah, so for anyone who's listening who doesn't really recall what happened, it's 2005. Um, Katsidis is knocked down early, I think three times in the second round. And there's no three knockdown rule, but, uh, you know, someone gets knocked down three times in the same round, fights often over. 
and the towel comes in, but you've got your eyes on the fighters and you pick your moment and you throw it back, throw it back out. And almost with the very next exchange, Earl scores a knockdown on Katsidis as, as he, uh, as he walks in and the place erupts. Like the, the, it's, it's incre- incredible scenes and you're right in the middle. And are you, I guess, the, the most relieved man in the room when, uh, when Earl does something like that, are you thinking, I've, I hit, I've hit a home run here? Um, I suppose you, it, it's, I suppose really, it's, a, I can't remember what I was thinking, but I would have probably thought, I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. He, he does, he does get stopped. I think Katsidis got docked for a low blow then, uh, in the, was it the next round? Uh, and then, the, you know, Katsidis does get the, the win anyway. Earl had enough after yeah. a while. Katsidis was one hell of a fighter. What was the aftermath like after the fight? I'm sure you've, probably met with a lot of media questions and you would have spoke to both boxers. What was the atmosphere afterwards? And the board was, we are superiors happy with your decision. Did you face any blowback? They never spoke, they never spoke to me about it. They never spoke to me about it. You see, um, I mean, not, not long ago, there was a, there was a, a fight um, with, um, uh, Steve, Steve, Steve Gray did it last year, yeah. yeah, 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 that's right. Now, he did it totally wrong, absolutely wrong, because that guy was taking a beating and the towel came in. And you do wonder whether, whether he was doing the same as me, I can do the same as Mickey Van. Um. I have heard things. Um, I'm not going to say it anymore. But 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 that when when Steve did it, he was wrong. You didn't agree with the decision that no, he made. But, but do you not have kind of maybe? He was getting a good idea. I yeah, mean, but he, he he's he's in the ring though. You're not in the ring. Yeah, but he, how many counts had he taken as well? And he was he was on the he was on the ropes taking a beating. Mm. Mickey. Uh, before we finish up this little segment of the of the uh, interview, you've been in the ring with so many uh, world legends, but British legends in particular. I'm just going to run through a few names. I want to get some thoughts. You you were the referee for Harold Graham's uh, debut, 1978. You were a fresh face referee yourself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you like you would have refereed m- multiple fights from these kind of guys. So I'm just going to name a few names, and if you can give me a few thoughts, like Harold Graham's debut, 78, and you know you would have done Harold- fights on. Harold was, um, he was brilliant, an absolute brilliant. But, but that, you know, I mean, that he had, he had the, the, um, he had the, the, the class himself, but it also Brendan, Brendan bought, Brendan Ingle bought that through. So he, he, he manifested, um, Graham, Harold's, Harold's skills. And he did have a lot of skills and a lovely fellow as well. You were in for Nigel Ben. How hard did he punch? Uh, Nigel, yeah, I, yeah, Nigel, um, yeah, he's awesome. He was awesome. I don't think his son has the power that. Well, his son doesn't have the power that he has. But Nigel, Nigel was a shot in the arm for for um, for British for, for British boxing. And yeah, he was, he was, he was, uh, it was always, it was great to do him. And feel free, feel free now to mention if any of these were difficult to referee as well, any of them were lippy as well. So you've got, 
you know, you did you did fights for Nassim Hamid. Yeah, I never liked him. No, Nassim Hamid was was um, uh, very disrespectful to other fighters, and I would never do that. Um, he he had an immense class and immense power, um, but got got above himself and didn't keep his feet on the floor. To me, anyway, I didn't think so. And I, I mean, I remember uh, one time I did him in Scotland and he, he had the guy on the floor and he, he was stood over him and shouting and I had to pull him away and I gave him a warning about it. You know, don't, don't do things like that. You know, you don't disrespect them. He, you see, and everybody on about how good he was and all that. But when he fought somebody that hit him back, he got beaten. Yeah, he made, he made he made a lot of people very happy. I think when he lost, oh, he did. of the modern generation, well, probably look back and yeah. worship Naz. A lot of the fighters do. But well, I, I if I was going to worship anyone like that, it would be Chris Eubanks. Chris Eubanks was far tougher than Naz. He could punch just the same, and he was just as clever. And he was as big a showman, probably bigger showman than Nas. And he didn't disrespect fighters. He never stood over them and, 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 or bad-mouthed them. You know, he was, he, he, was, he was class. And he could punch as well. You ask Calzaghi. I was going to get to Calzaghi next. Yeah, I got. Calzaghi. You did a few of his fights too. Yeah, I've done a couple of uh, cows. I did. I did one. Oh God, it was it was a nightmare. Oh God, it was um, it was a unification fight. WBO, WBA. Was it Bika? Was it? I Bika. That's it. Sakio Bika. Yeah. Oh my God, what a dirty little bastard he was. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Yeah, oh, he, he was, wasn't much of a boxer, but he was a damn, he was a damn awkward fighter. That's for oh, sure. Oh, he was. He was so. How do you control a person like that? You know, I don't know. I just had to keep going at him. I just had to keep nibbling at him. You know, I, I there's just. Yeah, well, your dad was... chuck your dad chuck knives for a living. This is kind of yeah. This is, you've got experience. <laughs> no, he he oh he was yeah he was a, a he was a damn nightmare an absolute. Nightmare. Um, you just, I just hoped, and I and I do remember vaguely. I just hoped that that Joe would turn him over. He didn't. He didn't get a chance. But you know, I mean, I remember. I, oh, I was just pulling up. I don't know why. I was, I was just thinking. Of, remember Malinaji? Yeah, Malinaji. I cut his hair off. Who cut, uh, who cut his hair off? Oh, I don't remember that one. Did you I, cut I, his hair off? I, yeah. Oh, you know, this is, thing, this is refereeing, you see. Um, and, and funnily enough, you know Malinaji, don't you? The, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do, yeah, yeah I've met him. Well, I, I refereed him in, in, um, against an African world title um, in Manchester. Oh, Solomon and, and I, was it? Or, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a Hatton. 
It was a Hatton fight in it Manchester. Was a Hatton bill, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one time I didn't do Hatton, and I did thirteen of these fights. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to Hatton in in the next portion there in a and second. Malinaji was fight this this uh, black guy that he was fighting was was very awkward, but Malinaji had this had his hair in elastic bands, and then it would be coming out and it would be going in his eyes. And I went one time to his corner and told the corner to, um, you know, to, to tie it up properly. Came out the next round, fighting, and it comes out again. And he's brushing it out of his eyes. And I'm thinking, well, he he's going to get beaten if he ain't careful here. So I went to his corner, asked the corner, uh, in, the, in the interval, for a pair of scissors and cut his hair. And then, the, then they, you know, what are you doing? I said, his, his hair is getting in his eyes. Get it cut off. So they cut his hair off. And because he had, he had quite a lot of hair. Yeah, yeah. Yes. From what I yeah, I don't, I don't know how you'd box After like, that fight, after that fight, and you see him now, it was like a choir boy. He had it cut. Crew cool, cool, yeah. Well, over the more, more to your style. More to your style, Nicky. <laughs> you, I you, haven't uh, seen him since, and I would have liked to to have a chat with him at some time. Well, look, uh, he 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 does a lot of podcasting as well. I'm sure uh, you can put out the feelers and you go on with him. You know, the the, bar, the barber referee, the demon barber, or something like that. You did. Uh, you you worked. Uh, you you worked refer- as a referee for David. You know, David Hay fight, Audley Harrison fights, Kel Brooks debut, Carl Froch, Alex Arthur, Scott Harrison, Amir Khan. Tony Bellew on the way up as well. So, so many great names of the yeah. British boxing scene of the last couple of last couple of decades. A lot of them you can't, you, you don't remember those, you know. Um, I'll tell you a story, and Tony might not um, like me telling you, but I, I remember because I refereed um, um, and judged a couple of times. You um, sick? Yeah, the world. Yes, anyway. yes, he did. Yeah, and. Um, and I was telling, I was telling you one time, and, and I said, and he, he, I refereed him against a South African champion, a tough kid, and he, he blasted him. He, you know, he, he turned him over in about three, four rounds, less than four, I think, maybe three. Anyway, so I, we well, were talking with him afterwards, and I said, you know, you need to step up a class. I said, um, we've got a guy here in in England that says that. And they just suit you. I says, Tony Bellew. I said, get yourself sorted out with him. He says, Mickey. He says, we've been trying to get him. He said, but he won't fight us. I said, no, anyway. Along, later on along the line, maybe 12 months, I don't know. And I see Tony Bellew's fighting um, music. So, yeah, yeah. He got, so did you I, get your fee? So I see, I see um, on the, on the Facebook, and and uh, I see his his manager, little Dave um, David Caldwell. I mean, I referee Dave, and I see him saying about you know um, what Tony's going to do and all. And anyway, I, I put on, I I sent him a message, and, and I said, um, by the way, he's never spoken to me since, and and I said. Um, if you want a, a bit of information, Dave, I said, um, 
of uh, on on um, Yusek, I said uh, I've refereed him. I said I've judged him as well. I said and um, Tony's best bet to beat him is not bother turning up. And I I was proved right, but he never spoke yeah. to me after that. Do you think? Um, how do you fancy Usyk in the rematch against Anthony Joshua? I don't know. I think Joshua has probably learnt. I think he might do it this time. I hope not. I I like Usyk and I think he deserves it. (laughs) I do think that um, none of them will beat Tyson Fury. Mickey Van, you think Tyson Fury is the man? We're going to leave it there and uh, we're going to come back and take up this conversation a couple of weeks down the line. Mickey Van, thanks so much for joining us this week on The Rocky Road. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.